so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and this week, Brent Leatherwood is out of town for work. So we're going to feature an interview that Brent hosted with Ed Litton and Fred Luter about racial reconciliation and the SBC. These two men have started an important racial reconciliation effort called the Unify Project. And in this interview, they'll tell us about it and spur us on to be ambassadors of reconciliation within the communities where the Lord has placed us. Let's join their conversation now. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Brenton Leatherwood, and I have the privilege of serving as president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. And today we are incredibly honored to host a conversation between two men I I greatly respect and admire, Dr. Fred Luter and Dr. Ed Litton. Thank you both for joining us today. And let me just say up front, I apologize. We were having some technical difficulties, making sure we were all together uh, at the same time. So I appreciate both of you and your patience and uh, our audience who's joining us. So uh, friends, we have affectionately internally inside the RLC, we've we've called this a conversation between Fred and Ed. <laughs> and, uh, I, 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 I wonder where y'all got that from. Yeah. I wonder where y'all got that from. <laughs> I'm sure it's not original. I'm sure y'all heard <laughs> that. But, uh, I hope that everyone will enjoy this. And let me just give a brief introduction. So Dr. Fred Luter Jr. is former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was elected in June of 2012 and was the SBC's first African-American president. He is senior pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church down in New Orleans, where hopefully a lot of us will be this coming summer for the annual meeting. Come on down, come on down. And of note, before Hurricane Katrina struck in 2005, the congregation had grown to over 7,000 members, making Mm -hmm. the largest congregation affiliated with the SBC in Louisiana. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Luter led the rebuilding of the membership after the diaspora from Katrina, and as of Uh, His election to the Southern Baptist Presidency, the congregation had 5,000 members. And then also joining us is Dr. Ed Litton. He served as senior pastor of Redemption Church since July of 1994. And prior to coming to Redemption, Ed served as the home missionary appointed to work in evangelism uh, for the Arizona Southern Baptist Convention. He was also a church planner in Arizona for seven years. Dr. Litton also served as president of the SBC when he was elected as the 63rd president in June of 2021. So obviously, I've got two great SBC statesmen here, and I really do appreciate both of you making the time uh, to have what I think is an important and timely conversation. So if you're ready, let's just jump right in. We ready. The two of you came together to start the Unify Project, and uh, you both have helped launch this. And I just want to know, 
tell our audience the heart behind this. What was the impetus behind beginning the Unify Project? Listen, uh, Fred and I go back a long ways on this. Uh, over 25 years ago, we were exchanging pulpits. Our choirs were working together. And it was just, it was such a breakthrough for our people. And we fell in love with Franklin Avenue, of course, walked with them through the journey. Uh, I've never seen a man have to pastor uh, such an expansive group of people from Houston to Birmingham to Atlanta and all points in between as Fred did. But God has sustained him. And we we just love Franklin Avenue, love all that God's done in, in that great church and under his great leadership. Beyond that, we've always had a vision how the gospel should be lived out by our churches and that we love one another, that we are a visible expression of the love of God in our communities. And so that's really the motivation behind it. And, and the tension in, the, in, in this particular category is huge throughout our culture. And we believe that the church and the gospel bring something to the table. And uh, we've enjoyed working together through the years. Yeah, Brent, one of the reasons that uh, I had no issue at all with uh, nominating Ed uh, for president of the convention, mm-hmm. because I knew it's harder on racial reconciliation. And I knew mm-hmm. that and it was at a time that I felt this was really, really needed in our convention, as well as in our nation. And I felt that knowing uh, our relationship, knowing what God has done in our personal relationship in our churches, I felt uh, that he was the right man at the right time to uh, make this happen, not knowing that this would be something we'll be doing years later called the Unified Project. But it was, I think it's God, all God ordained and just looking forward to what God's going to do. Well, I want to add to that, too. Tony Evans has played a very instrumental role in this. He, mm-hmm. He's been a friend of Fred's for years and yeah. became a friend of mine in the last couple of years. And uh, his his strategy, very simple, is something we have adopted and we work with him to try to help pastors all across the country bring unity uh, to their communities. Yeah. So, uh, Ed, let's let's just stay with you for a second. Let's kind of peek into the future. Uh, what do you hope that the Unify Project will accomplish? And you know, where would you like the SBC to be in 10, 20, 50 years from now on this particular subject? Well, in my city, as an illustration, I the inner city, within the city limits of Mobile, uh, 52% of the population are African-Americans. How do I, as a missiologist and as a strategist for evangelism, consider to reaching this community if I don't cooperate with my African-American brothers and sisters? And if I were in Norman, Oklahoma, it would be a different setup, but I would still have to consider the ultimate evangelistic purpose of this. And it's it's the love of God that compels us to love each other, to reach out to one another. And, uh, and I, I do believe the gospel and the church bring an answer to this issue to our culture. Yeah, I, I also, one of the things that I hope to accomplish in knowing as heart uh, about this Unified Project is that uh, we, we would hope ourselves, the people who, work, who serve on the board, we would hope to bring authentic racial unity in the SBC. Notice I said, Brent, authentic. authentic. A lot of us put on, you know, we put on the airs, we put on the, uh, the smiles, but we want, hopefully, this will be a, a, something that would bring about authentic racial unity in the, in, in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and my, my prayer and our prayer is that 10, 20, 30 years from now, uh, that SBC through the Unity Project and other things will be Exhibit A to all groups across America that what can be accomplished when we don't allow race to divide us. That would mm-hmm. be my hope. That will be the yeah. big picture. And it's redemptive, too, isn't it, yeah. Fred? Because we have a we have a bad, difficult past, and, yeah. and, and we're not 
you know, grinding people's nose in it. It's, it's, but it's obvious it's always been with us. And we've been together through this in a painful way. And, and I think it brings glory to God when, when the world sees the visible union of people who have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Brent, when I ran for president you know, 10 years ago here in New Orleans, I got calls from all over, not just America, all over the world. Mm. And one of the questions that many people want, was asking me, why in the world does a black man want to be president of a convention that was started as a result of slavery? Mm. And so we have a history in this convention of that. And so, uh, man, it's time to let that go and put that behind us and move forward to be the people of God that God has called us to be. Right. So, Ed, let's let's unpack this kind of at the community level, because you mentioned that. Talk about the ways that you think the Unified Project will, will speak and will work within communities, you know, with churches who are adopting this. Well, my encouragement is that uh, what we want to do in Unify is to to help pastors be the heroes in their community and connect with other people on a level of really becoming friends. It's what we experienced here in Mobile. That takes time, but it doesn't take too much time. It, it takes it takes sincerity. It takes being vulnerable and honest. And, and let me just be honest with you. When we started here in Mobile, Fred and I, Fred is easy to love. I'm telling you, only the devil hates privilege. All right. I'm just, he is easy to love. Some people aren't so easy to love, even within our convention or even in our own race sometimes. But even in our own church. The reality is there people are afraid. I was afraid. And I was afraid of all kinds of things. I was afraid of being labeled by my, my peers. I was afraid of theological difficulties. What I discovered was the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, overcomes all of those fears. Yeah. And and so we just started meeting and started talking. And, and from that, uh, we covered a lot of painful subjects. But through it all, we found the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel was the foundation of what we were doing. And so it led to community activity and ministries and things that we're doing together here. Yeah. I love the fact that, you know, you're really emphasizing that the pastors and ministers, they need to see themselves as partners uh, within the communities where they've been called uh, to lead. And, and that's certainly been something here at the RLC that we've tried to speak into elected officials and, and encourage them to see pastors as partners for helping their community to flourish. And I love the fact that the Unified Project leans right into that. So with that, uh, with, with pastors operating in the community, they are uh, to be leading voices and you know, uh, Fred, you have been a leading voice on this. You know, you've been the first African-American president in the SBC. And I'm curious, recently I had a conversation with another first, uh, John Nelson, who was president of the Missouri Baptist Convention. And he said he's ready for a day when there are no more firsts mm -hmm. in the SBC. Uh, how does that land with you? And what do you think would be necessary for that day to actually come to fruition? Brent, I absolutely agree with uh, John's statement. Uh, as this convention in the SBC, and if we do what we're supposed to do as uh, Bible-believing individuals, in order for this, the first African-American this, the first that, you know, even now with the Super Bowl coming, people talk about, oh, it's the first Super Bowl with two African-American uh, quarterbacks, man. And, you know, if you want to talk about the first, the first, the first, I, I, I pray that, that this unified project if it's going to take away that label, the first to first, we must, we African-Americans, uh, Anglos, Hispanics, Asian, all of us who make up the Southern Baptist Convention, we must be intentional with doing all we can to involve all races that make up this convention 
to work together as one. That's the only way it's going to happen. Once that happens, we can get away with that label. Oh, he's the first. No, no. He's the first one in his family or the first one in that community or the first one in that church. But hopefully we'll get to the point where when people see us working together uh, as one in all races, then we can do away with that uh, uh, label. One of the things that just blessed me so much when I was uh, running for president of SBC, Dr. Jimmy Draper, someone that most of us and all of us know and love, he said in in front of a, an audience, he said, listen, Fred Luther is not being elected president of, of the convention because he's black. He's being elected president of the convention because he's, he's done a good job as pastor of the church where he's at in this convention. And I, I pray that something like that will happen in the future. And I think this Reunified Project is a start of making it happen. Absolutely. And then we see encouraging signs. It's happening around the convention. North Carolina has a, a brand new uh, president who's African-American. Right. And, and it's so it is happening. We just want to encourage it and fan the flame. That's on the sidelines. We're going to be rooting for that pastor and that community, that group of pastors to step out and encourage. And we've seen it happen in the convention. You know, we, you know, Willie McLaurin is, is although he's in him, he's first African-American in that position. Uh, Roland Slade, he was uh, uh, the president of, of the executive committee. And, and so these are both African-Americans. And so we we see it happening here and there. But Ed and I would not be content until we see it happen across the convention. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I in the conversations that I've had with pastors and other leaders across the convention, it's it's not an issue of want to. It's an issue of, of how to. Yes. And, you know, I should say this. There are a number of great churches across the SBC that, that are doing this work right now. No doubt and about maybe it. For, maybe for some of our other churches that are like, man, I'm, I'm really interested in this. But like, what's the first step that that I can take with my congregation? So whether you're in New Orleans or Norman, Oklahoma, like you mentioned, Ed, or maybe even Nome, Alaska, what are some some good handles that folks can that you can give to to our pastors and ministers out there that that want to take that first step? And this goes to both of y'all. The, the website uh, that we have is uh, theunifiedproject.com, and uh, it has a three point plan. Uh, excuse me, four point plan. Um, and so uh, we're a four point racial reconciliation people. And uh, we <laughs> watch it, bro. Watch it. Watch it. Watch three. Watch that it. group, that group. Yeah, that's calls, never good. But you're about to call it the division. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't have enough controversy already. But <laughs> the four points there are, are a good place to start. The other thing I would say too is be willing, come to the table, start conversations within your leadership teams, conversations about your conviction your concerns of what you see, why the church needs to be open. Some latest LifeWay research shows that people in the pews are coming around on this. People are saying their churches need to be more diversified. Pastors are are raising a higher level of concern about how do we approach this. That's why the Unify Project is here. We want to help you. And and we want to encourage you. We want to tell the stories of where it's happening, what God has done that are truly miraculous. And, And we would love to tell your story and uh, we just say, come to the table. Yeah. And, and the, the great thing about this, Brent, pastors do not have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to what they can do for racial reconciliation. If you go to that, our website, theunifiedproject.org, we have right. uh, suggestions on there on how pastors can get involved in this. Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, things that you can do as far as uh, racial reconciliation uh, uh, in your church, in your community. And as Ed and I have often said, Look at it. If it doesn't fit where you are, just change it, rearrange it to make sure it fits. But but there is help for you 
uh, if you're serious about this, and the the website will give those uh, opportunities uh, to give to pastors on what they can do to start this off. Well, so I didn't tell you this is going to be a two part question, uh, but let's let's get real here for a second. So we I mentioned we have a number of churches that are actively doing this work and doing really good gospel centered work. At the same time, we know there's 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 some churches out there that have attempted this work and they've encountered some pushback. What sort of advice and encouragement would you give to to those pastors? And that pushback, to be clear, it could come from their communities. It could come from within their congregations. Right. I'm, you know, both of you, you've done pastoral ministry for so many years, so you, I know you have a lot of wisdom. Like, please pour into some members of our audience who might be encountering that. I can start this off because of something. I was invited by an Anglo pastor friend of mine. He knew all the things I was doing here in New Orleans and uh, the things I was doing across the convention in racial reconciliation. His church is in a, a, a transitioning uh, area, just like Franklin Avenue was. At one time, Franklin mm-hmm. Avenue was an, uh, an all-white church, and then the neighborhood started changing. Whites moved out, blacks moved in. And so uh, God began using us in that location. He heard our story, and he said, man, that can really help us where we are. So he invited me to come and preach uh, uh, at his church, I would have been, uh, here goes that word, that word again, Brent, I would have been the first African-American <laughs> to, mm. to preach at his church. But I said, man, I would love to do it. Well, we set the date, we planned the date. And two months before the meeting I was supposed to go to, he he, he called and asked if he, he, I, he can meet with me. I, yes, we met at New Orleans Seminary. And I said, hey, what's going on? He just started crying. I said, what's going mm-hmm. on, man? I thought something pretty. He said, man, I've got to uninvite you. I said, what you mean you got to uninvite you? Say, some of my key church leaders heard that I was in- inviting a black preacher to preach in this pulpit. And they said, over our dead body. With a- now, this is a SBC Christian church. People say they're going to heaven and all that. Say, mm-hmm. over our dead bodies, will a black man ever preach in this uh, uh, pulpit? And he was Already discouraged because mm. he said, Fred, I thought we were ready. So a lot of times I feel for a lot of pastors who have a heart like Ed and I to make this happen, but their ch- congregations are not ready. Their church leaders are not ready. So my advice to those guys, you just be steadfast. Don't give up. Sometime it's going to take having coffee with a, a group, a, a meeting for somebody for lunch and just sharing some biblical principles on this is biblical. Red, yellow, black and white. We are precious in the Lord's sight. And so sometimes we just got to have some some hard conversations uh, because if it's going to happen in the convention, it's going to have to start in our churches. Amen. And leadership takes courage, as you, you all well know. And, and when you see something as obvious as this, you have to address it yes. on some level. It takes wisdom, yes. but it also takes courage. And yes. I have uh, I have paid a price in the leadership of my church. And, uh, and yet at the same time, I think it, what it does is it raises up an expectation uh, in, among the people that we are serious about this gospel that we are serious about demonstrating love one for another. And, and so don't want to have any fantasies here. We're not going to sing Kumbaya and everything's going to get good. <laughs> the, the reality is there is a price to be paid, but I'm going to tell you this. It also flushes out some things in a congregation that a pastor needs to know. Mm. There's that this is very unhealthy. The, the type of environment that we have where people would make such like that, that brother. And I've heard that from a lot of folks uh, these things do happen. They have happened. They are some places still happening. 
if I could, so maybe maybe just an opportunity for some coaching for some of our friends out there. You mentioned sometimes it may require on like a one-on-one, you know, grab a cup of coffee and, and have a conversation. Give us a sense. How do you work through that? What what are the nature of some of those conversations? How do you help uh, navigate uh, that? What what sort of advice can you lend in that particular area, that kind of one-on-one pastoral ministry? Great, great question, Brent. Uh, if racial reconciliation is going to happen in local churches and in communities, it's got to start with relationships. So me me as an African-American pastor, maybe reaching out to Anglo pastor, Asian pastor, Latino pastor in my city, in my community, say, hey, man, I've heard about you. I'd like to get to meet you. Let's meet for breakfast. Let's meet over a cup of coffee. With that. And then develop that relationship one-on-one. Uh, with that pastor, and then hear his heart, he hears my heart. And if our hearts are, are to do this, that, then let's start with doing some pulpit swaps. Uh, uh, that's how Ed and I got together. He, like I said at the beginning, uh, you know, he, he invited me to come preach in Mobile, Alabama at his church, and then I invited him to this choir. Yeah. Now, I want to just say this. I got I got the benefit. I was on the beneficial <laughs> end of that. That was that. <laughs> Franklin yeah, Avenue, were, they were very sweet to me, but, you know, let's get Fred back. Yeah, we say amen to a preacher. We, we work a preacher at Franklin Avenue, man. But, but, but then uh, uh, because of my relationship with Ed, and this is the key, Brent, because of my relationship with Ed and me talking to the congregation that I pastored about our relationship, then when Ed was in, uh, came to Franklin Avenue, the people accepted him as my friend. And so it was easier to develop that relationship. And from our personal relationship, then it'd be our choirs begin to interact with each other, then our congregation begin to interact with each other. And so the point I'm making, man, it, it all starts with a relationship. But as Ed said, you, you've got to stick to it. You can't give up if it doesn't work the first time. Uh, you you got to stick with it. It's, it's, it's definitely worth it to break down the stronghold of race, particularly in the church. Mm. So we got to work at it. Fred, that's a powerful word. A stronghold is a very serious word in this issue. If you don't pray, if you don't have a strong prayer life, get one and yeah. develop one because yes. uh, it is it is spiritual warfare. Uh, people have been taught things, they were raised that way, it's a part of the culture, and that's not easy to change. It's not easy to change. And the goal though, isn't so much to change the culture, the goal is to keep people focused on the gospel. I have a, had a lot of those private conversations with people and, and all of them came back to the gospel. And oftentimes I'll resort to what Paul had to tell Peter and and uh, and it's revealed in scripture because of his his fear, which was somewhat a racial issue too. the Judaizers and eating with some and not with others. And Paul simply said, you know, Pete, you forgot the gospel. Yeah. And, and so when we when we put really important things or things that we think are culturally important above the gospel, someone's got to call us to task for that. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. And that's not, you know, when, when I'm invited to, to preach at an Anglo church, when I invite Anglo pastors to preach at my church, I don't want them to come and preach a sermon on race. I want to no. preach the gospel, yes. preach yes. the word yes. of God. When you <laughs> preach the word of God, man, the word of God going to do what it needs to do. And so, uh, you know, and, and if we if we stand on the principles of biblical, now we can have those other conversations at another time. But when we stand in the pulpit, preach the gospel, the gospel is the only thing that will change hearts and minds. Preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. I, I love that. So, so whether it is conversations with fellow pastors or conversations with members of your congregation, just returning to gospel. Uh, that's, that's so key. All right. So Ed, let me, let me come to you next. Uh, you know, you kind of touched on this earlier, the SBC, we have an especially kind of checkered past 
when it comes to the question of race, uh, especially along the, the white-black axis. But the Unify Project also speaks to our Latino and Asian neighbors as well. How do we miss the conversation of racial unity if we only think in terms of white and black on this issue? Well, we miss it because we, we don't understand the, the demographic changes in our culture. If, if North America is our mission field here, then we've got to understand how it has dramatically and is dramatically changing and what the future looks like. And, and, and so it's important that we understand that these, are, these issues are critical for the gospel. And these are people, just like my African-American brothers and sisters, who love the Lord, who want to see the gospel advance. And we need to get to know each other. We need to work together for that very purpose. Amen. Fred, uh, you know, as an African-American, I mean, how does that resonate with you? Again, it, if this is going to happen in the SBC, we've got to recognize the fact that the SBC is not just made up of whites and blacks. We have a huge uh, Latino uh, presence. We have a huge uh, Asian presence. And so we've got to include everybody if it's going to work. And, and in the uh, on our board, uh, so to speak, of the of our unity project, we have blacks, whites, we have Asians, we have uh, Latinos, we have men, we have mm -hmm. women, and so everybody has to be represented if we're serious about making this work um, for everybody, not leaving anybody out, but everybody's invited to the table. Right. So, Doctor Huda, let me let me actually stay with you on this front. So. Unify Project, it's a new initiative, all of that. We, we, we want to make sure that we are pursuing real, authentic, as you said, racial unity. Yeah. What do you say to those brothers and sisters who, who want to wave this off? Man, this is, a, this is an issue in the past. We've moved beyond it. Or they want to say, nah, this is a product of Marxist ideology or, or CRT within our convention. You know, what do you say to, to those, those folks who are critiquing it from those directions? Great, great question, Brandon. Man, I see why you're the president of EILC, but you do a lot of good <laughs> questions, man. Uh, 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 yeah. What I, I would say to those individuals, do you watch the news? Do, do, you, do you read the news? Do you see what's going on in what's called the United States of America? We have that name, but we're not united. And a lot of reason we're not united is because of race. We cannot be afraid to deal with the issue of race. And it's real. It's something that affects all of our churches and all of our cities. It's affected our convention. And so what I would say to those individuals, get your head out of the sand. You know, we don't live in a perfect society. Satan is the prince of the power of the air and the enemy will do all he can to separate us. So I would say to those individuals, we cannot be afraid to talk about and deal with the issue of race and racial division. Of course, it's happened in the past, but it's alive and well in 2023 in America. So that that's what we, we're trying to address with the Unified Project. And you know, we when I was president of SBC, one of the things that I tried to deal with and work with is racial reconciliation. But it did not have the teeth that the Unified Project has. It did not have someone like Ed Litton, who who boldly in his president's address uh, dealt with this. And so. It's, it's something that we need to talk about. We cannot run away from it. Uh, Brent, one, uh, Ed and I want to just thank God for you that you would give us this platform Amen. Uh, to say to our convention and say to our brother and sister, man, we got to stop ignoring this problem. It's not going to go away. And until we address it and deal with it, that's the only reason it's going to uh, happen. 
Dr. Lynn, what, what would you add to that, to, to those folks who are criticizing it either as something from the past or something from, you know, some sort of liberal, you know, worldview? Yeah. Let me tell you, when we started uh, here in Mobile, uh, we had never heard of CRT. We had never heard of critical race theory. We'd never heard of any of those things. Right. The people who gathered together, black and white, uh, men and women, and these different leaders in the community and pastors, we all started meeting and it was it was driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And plain and simple, that's what brought us to the table. That's what kept us at the table. I'll never forget after the Birmingham convention, I went to my brothers and, and I said, the leadership team, I said, hey, have y'all ever heard of CRT? And they they looked at me and said, what's that? They started Googling it and they brought it up on YouTube. And, and they said, what's this? It, it was so foreign to us. Uh, so it, what's important to understand is that's a thing, but our thing is the gospel. And what you read completely in the, in the word of God uh, constantly is that the church is to be unified. Our unity is not our sameness. Our unity is in the doctrine of God's word. And so we we take God's infallible word and we build our lives on it in our communities and our churches. And let me say any pastor, when you're leading a church to do this, it, it's a rough road. It's a rocky road. It can be. But celebrate when your people make progress. And last Sunday, just giving an illustration, we opened up our worship service. We've done this now for several years. I'm not saying you got to go try this next week uh, if you're just starting, but we we celebrate Black History Month in a predominantly white church. Yeah. And we do it to honor the contribution of our brothers and sisters who, as slaves, were yeah. taking the gospel from this country to other nations. And I mean, we've got to do that. And, and, it, and it encourages our African-American members, but it encourages our people, too. Yeah. And one of the things that great point that uh, um, and kudos to Redemption Church for uh, celebrating Black History Month, a predominantly white church, to, to do that. And the black church says a lot. And that's the kind of stuff we need to happen. But but Brent, to also piggyback on what Ed said, we would never be able to progress to the future if we ignore the past. You know, right. slavery was a reality. Jim Crowism was a reality of uh, 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 whites separate bathrooms from blacks, all that's a reality. CRT, we cannot ignore that. So, And so we cannot say it didn't happen. We cannot have a discussion about it. But my thing is, let's not labor on that. Let, let's not make that a part. Let's look at what can, we need to address it. We need to deal with it. But don't let it be something that will separate even us as a, a Bible-believing Christians from moving forward. We need to understand that that in order for us to move forward, yes, we got to deal with the history of, of our past, but we can't, we got to move forward. Let me just give you one quick example. When Please. I was I was elected pastor of Franklin Avenue in 1986, and in two years we'd become an autonomous church. And I we 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 had a uh, God blessed tremendously with and I was having a church-wide meeting that night, uh, just to celebrate what God had done in our lives. And uh one of our older members will never forget this, Brent, long as I live said, uh, Pastor Luda, now that we're an autonomous church, because we because we had an Anglo church that was our mother church, uh, uh, we was a mission church. And they said, now that we're an autonomous church, can we get out of the Southern Baptist Convention? And I'm said, well, why would you want to do that? This convention has been a blessing to us. We, we're five minutes away from the Orleans Seminary. They let us use the gym. We, we're able to uh, utilize different uh, SBC uh, uh, retreat centers around the country. Why would you want to do that? And that person said, it's obviously you don't know about the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. And at, at that time, I really didn't. I didn't realize that this convention started as a result of slavery. And I said, I'm, and I told them, I apologize. I didn't know the history of the convention. But I said to them that night in that room, 
I said, listen, folk, there's nothing that any of us can do about our past. Every And I looked each of them in the eye. I said, every last one of us have a past. There's nothing we can do about our past, but there's a whole lot we can do about our future. And I, this was in 1988. And I said, listen, let's stay in this convention and let's prove uh, to the people in this convention that an African-American church can do ministry and mission as well as they can. And they said, Pastor, because you said it, we're going to do it. And they hung in there with me, not knowing that years later, their pastor would be president oh, of the Southern Baptist Convention. So, so, so the point I'm simply making is that we all got a past, but let's not dwell on the past. Let's yeah. deal with it. But let's look at some biblical principles, how we can make it better in the future. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm I'm grateful they hung in there with you, brother. Me too, brother. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so, you know, what I'm hearing from y'all, it, it, it's, it's not about CRT. It's not about Marxist ideologies. Scripture tells us that racial unity is a gospel issue. So I'm curious, uh, you know, Scripture is sufficient here. Where, where do y'all go as pastors, as leaders on this issue? Where do you go in Scripture to just kind of illustrate that for folks you're talking to about racial unity? Well, first of all, the context, I, I often go to Acts chapter 6, talk about the real first problem the church in Jerusalem faced, and it was a racial problem. And uh, their, their solution was ingenious, uh, which tells me it came from the Holy Spirit. And, and the solution was to appoint deacons who had the names of the group that was the most despised racial group. So what they did is they brought everybody together and they saw the church becoming uh, more, uh, a greater variety of people were coming into the church. They started loving people uh, right where they were, who they were, feeding, make sure everybody was taken care of. And what it did is it made the church flourish and it caused the gospel to spread even among the priests and who were responsible for feeding people and apparently were falling down on the job. Mm -hmm. And so it gave the church an opportunity, but that I, I go there. Two scriptures come to mind right, right, right offhand, uh, Brent. Uh, one is Romans 3 and 10. All have sinned and fallen short of God. We help a sin nature living on the inside of us because of the, the, the decision that Adam and Eve made in Genesis chapter 3, that sin nature passes upon all mankind so that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we have a sin nature, we will always have, unfortunately, a problem with racism because of this sin nature that's living on the inside. That's why it's imperative to be born again, to be saved, to give our hearts and life to the Lord. I heard a, a, fr a friend of mine say this years ago, and it made so much sense to me. He said, America, uh, the SBC, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. Yeah. And until we yeah. deal with the sin problem, we'll always have skin problems. Another scripture that comes to mind is the one in 1 John, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus said, how can you say you love God? Who you see, who you've never seen, and yet hate your brother that you see every day. So right. something's wrong with that. So and, we, we got to be honest with each other that we do have an issue, we do have a problem, and we need to address those issues. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, final question for both of you uh, here for our time together: How can our churches move beyond simply discussing these topics, which is important? Both of you have talked about the importance of helping uh, your people understand why this is a gospel issue and, and moving them along from the pulpit. But how do we move from discussing these topics to building meaningful relationships across racial lines within our communities? I say come to the table, stay at the table, reach out. Um, and and, and the, there's no guarantees. There's a risk always when you reach out to somebody. But uh, what, you, what I believe you will discover is that you'll find good-hearted people who want that that kind of Christian unity. 
in your community, in your church, and other places. That's the starting point. Credit, I agree. It all starts with build, as you said, building meaningful relationships. Now, we all have relationships with people in our church and in our community, but if racial reconciliation is going to happen the way Ed and I have seen it together, it's because of a meaningful relationship. It takes time. You just can't, you can't just have one meeting about it or have one a seminar about it. It, it. it takes time. You got to work at it. You got to deal with it. And even you've got to get to the point where, and Ed, I've heard Ed say this about their group in Mobile, you've got to be willing to agree to disagree about, about some things. But if I know in my heart that my brother loves me and he knows in my heart, in his heart, that I love him, then there should be no issue that yeah. can come between us that we as born again baptized believers, washed in the blood, redeemed by the blood, that we cannot sit down and work out, not because of the racial issues, but because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you've got a genuine, authentic relationship with Christ, you should be able to work out the relationship you have with other brothers and sisters. So it starts with, with, with meaningful relationships, and that's what happened to Ed and I over 20, what, 25, 26, almost 30 years ago. Yep. It's, it's still going on, man. He he knew me when I had all black hair, man. <laughs> <laughs> he knew me when I had hair. Um, hey, let me let me let me add to this. We're, the Unified Project is launching a forty days of prayer for racial reconciliation. It starts February the twenty second. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram uh, at the Unified Project, and we would love for you to begin praying about this. Actually, that's the best place to start. And be praying. And you know what? I'm convinced. I've seen it in my own life. Fred's seen it in his. When you pray about something, be amazed how God opens doors of opportunity. And so this is where we're going to start. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, uh, listen, I want to I want to thank you both so much. Uh, in, in previous conversations, it has come out, but it has come out just again in, in this uh, conversation. You two exemplify brotherly love uh, so well. And I think to go back a little bit to what you were saying, Dr. Luter, that that's really at the heart of this, that love uh, that we should have for one another. And I think one of the effects of that will be pursuing authentic racial unity. And so thank you both for that leadership that you have provided for our convention and your passion uh, for this particular uh, subject. And, and, and because of it, it birthed the Unify Project. And I'm just so thankful that y'all have done that for our convention. And you can find out more about the Unified Project at theunifiedproject.org. And at the same time, you can continue to find resources uh, from, oh, wait, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, don't go to the one I sent you to. Go to the one Fred and Brent just sent you to. They got it right. I got the address wrong. <laughs> the Unifiedproject.org. Right. Well, it'll, let, me, it'll, let me just say this on behalf of Brad and I. Brent, thank from the bottom of our hearts, brother. Amen. Thank Amen. you for doing this, man. It, uh, you, listen, you, you really must have job security, brother, to be able to, you know, to to make this something that you invite people from all over the Southern Baptist Convention to do. It, it it says a lot about you, my brother. It says a lot about your heart. So on behalf of Ed and I, thank you, man, Amen. for, thank for you, making Brent. this website webinar available. Yeah, well, no, thank you. And look, this, this isn't just me. This is our convention. Our convention yes. has said we want to move forward with that's this. Right. And I think, yes, you know, Ed, right. you had mentioned we need to celebrate the milestones that we we accomplish in our churches. We can celebrate the milestones that we accomplish in our convention. Uh, the Unified Project, I would submit, is just the latest marker that says we are moving forward and pursuing real racial unity. And yes. so we have y'all to, to thank for that. All right, I got to cut off. 
our brotherly love fest here. Uh, go to ERLC.com slash racial unity to learn more about the Unified Project and other ways your Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is pursuing real racial unity within the church and within our culture. So, so thank you again, everyone, for making time to join these two brothers and myself. I hope you have a good day. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Thank mm-hmm. you.